Welcome to the aggressive life. You know, a lot of times we think about aggression as just making really bold moves. Maybe it's a physical challenge. Maybe it's an occupational change. Maybe it's a financial investment. All those things are good. All those things should be, we should have an aggressive attitude towards. But what about friendship? I mean, friendship just sounds kind of soft. It sounds soft, but it isn't soft. How many friends do you have? What is a friend? How'd you find your friends? The answer to questions like those tends to be influenced by two factors, your age and your gender. The older we get, the fewer friends we all tend to have, and studies also routinely show that men are disproportionately more lonely and isolated than their female counterparts. In fact, one study found that nearly half of all men reported having no friends, zero, nada, none that they felt comfortable discussing serious matters with, things like money, work, or life, health issues. You know, I, I believe the biggest pandemic in the world, the longest running pandemic in the world, the most lethal pandemic in the world is loneliness. And it's leaving a path of destruction in its wake, substance abuse, self-harm, mental health issues. And that's where our guest comes in today. I, I, I love when I have people on the aggressive life dirt who know more than me, which is about everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, a, it's, it's about— <laughs> It's good to have an expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's about yeah. everybody. And especially in this one, because this has kind of been a stump speech for me, for mine for a while. Men are four times more likely to have suicide than are women, three times more likely to have mental illness than women, two times more likely to have a health abuse-related incidence than women. And my little pet theory has been this loneliness. My pet theory has been the fact that men simply— are not connected with one another. So whether you're male or female, you're going to get something out of today. Today, our, our guest is author, playwright, comedian, Max Dickens. He, he proposed, actually, I shouldn't tell you what he did. I shouldn't tell you his story. Why don't we have Max tell us his story? Max Dickens, welcome to The Aggressive Life. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Brian. Oh, man, you're welcome. So tell us the story about how you got so interested in friendship. Yeah, well, I got into it um, because of um, a, a personal uh, revelation, I suppose. What happened was I was thinking of, uh, or I was planning on proposing to my girlfriend, Naomi, and I was in um, Hatton Garden, which is the jewellery district of London. I was literally in a shop, shopping for an engagement ring with uh, a female pal of mine. And uh, afterwards, we go to a pub and, and she says to me, so, Max, who are you going to have as your best man? And I sort of mind blanked and just thought it was one of those things in the moment where you just can't think of anything. So I went home that night and I got a piece of paper out and I wrote a list of all these men I might consider as best man. And I looked at this list and I realized, gosh, I work with most of these guys and they'd find it really weird that they asked me, if I asked them, I should say, to do this role for me. And then the rest on this list were people I hadn't seen in some occasions for two or three years. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've lost all my friends. How has this happened to me? And I did a bit of light Googling in that moment, that evening, and I realized that actually this is a problem lots of men have. And I decided to try and work out why it happens so I could find the best man and work out what men can do about it too. Yeah, not because you want a friend, you just wanted a best man. Like if you, not a friend, I just, I just need a best man, someone to fill the role. <laughs> Well, that's a, a good point because maybe I did think like I just want to fill a role at the start. Maybe it was like a kind of a classic masculine thing. I want that to complete the set. You know, you have your nice car, you have your job, you have your best man in the photos at the wedding. But then as I went through it, I realized actually, oh, no, I do need friends and I do have to change in order to get those male friends. But I, I think maybe what people have found um, relatable about my journey in this is if you if you meet me and you look at me I'm I'm not what loneliness looks like I'm you know my early mid 30s I'm pretty outgoing guy I'm quick to the bar to buy my round loneliness is not meant to be guys like me and yet there's lots of men like me who are in exactly the same position so you got a new book coming out called Billy No Mates How I Learned Men Have a Friendship problem. You're over in the UK. Man, you know, every time I hear that sexy UK accent, 
I, I want one of those. How do, how do I get an accent like that? Can I just, it's, it's, you know, you know that you have Americans like me in the palm of your hand whenever you open your mouth and speak. You, you do realize that, right? Well, thank well, thank you. You can learn it. I think you can go to like a accent coach and learn what they call RP English. But do you know what? I think the US accent, you guys sound more chilled. So I always sound maybe quite grand and all authoritative but maybe a bit boring whereas you guys sound relaxed and sort of charismatic so it's a trade-off i reckon oh is that right so the english accent to you sounds relaxed and charismatic i uh, know i think the the american accent does uh, yeah i'm sorry the american um, accent yes american yeah, is yeah. english come on come on american america <laughs> america <laughs> number one baby <laughs> no I, I anyway I, I love the accent i i have a i have a couple friends who have New Zealand or Australian or English accents who are pastors. I'm like, dudes, you, if I, I could double the size of my church like in a year if I just had your <laughs> accent in America. Anyway, it's good stuff. So, Max, it seems to me like, uh, well, first of all, your book and your research and going on. So just tell us why is it? Why is it that us as men, we don't have great friends? I know a lot of guys do believe that they have great friends, but studies show, or at least Studies are my anecdotal evidence. I'm not sure which it is. It seems like those friends that we have are memories of friends from high school or college, or they're the people we work with. And as soon as we leave and go to another job, we've got, you know, we've got loneliness. Well, why is this? When did this set up uh, start with us? Has this always been a case in the Western Hemisphere? Yeah, so your kind of anecdotal evidence there, there's a lot to that. So a lot of men their, a lot of their friendships tend to revolve around work or around their, their wife or their girlfriend's friends. But so, so when I looked into this, men basically have two problems when it comes to friendships. The first one is, well, we might have a lot of what you might call mates. So mates you might go and watch the football with or go to the bar with. We don't have many friends, so sort of intimate friends. So you said in your intro there, there was a recent study by Movember that found that half of men, when they were asked to think of someone they could talk about something serious with, so relationship worries, health worries, money worries, half of them could think of no one at all. So we might have those 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 mates, those pals, but close, intimate friendships. Men tend to struggle with that, especially compared to women. And the second thing that men struggle with with friendship is, as we get a bit older, our social network shrinks. And it's the same with women as well. Like your social life peaks in your late, late 20s. That's what the social network research suggests. But um, it gets a lot worse for men. So if you actually look as men get older, they have a bigger social network than women in their 20s. When they're in their 40s, that's flipped on its head, which is often why um, when men get bereaved or they get divorced or they retire, they have worse mental and physical health uh, outcomes than women because they are more isolated and it gets worse as we get older. Now, the question is, I suppose, why? Because this has been existing since the early 70s when I, I went as far back in the research. So it's not a modern invention. Hmm. This has been around for a long time. The seventies, like the seventies, is when this started. Then, yeah, like the early seventies was when they started measuring it properly. And since then, men have had a worse deal on friendships than women. So, I just thought, wow, what a kind of juicy question to get into. So, what happened in the seventies then? Well, I think it's just when uh, social scientists decided to start measuring it. So maybe it goes back earlier than that. When I when I looked at at what's been going on there's there's basically maybe three broad theories but two theories are, the, are probably the thing that we should focus on in terms of the causes of this um loneliness crisis in guys so well the first one is uh and 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 maybe i should introduce about a kind of little anecdote is that i never thought that being a, i was different with guys than i was with women right how i went about being a a guy and then Naomi who I told about this problem like, I'm worried I haven't got any male friends what's going on we went to this party together and then on the way back in the car she says to me Max do you realize what you like with other guys you turn into this different person you're kind of your kind of body language gets more like aggressive and not aggressive in the way you mean I mean literally more belligerent you kind of talk louder your 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 your, your jokes get crueler you start talking about <laughs> yourself more you become this different animal and I'm like oh wow do I and she said, yeah, but you never show those guys what I, the side I know about you. Like, you become this different guy. And what I love about you is maybe they never see that side of you. And I was like, oh, wow. And then when I, when I spoke to loads of psychologists who studied this stuff, 
they said to me that one of the big reasons men have less close friendships than women is these kind of unspoken rules about how we go about being men, what they would call norms of masculinity that maybe get in the way of us having these closer bonds. So like a classic one is um, what, what we might say in the UK is banter, right? Which is this kind of joshing, this, this jazz of casual brutality we have when we're with the guys. We sort of run each other down, but in a fun way, making lots of jokes. And that can be fun, but maybe that creates a moat around us. We can't get too close. Another thing is, there's like a maybe connected, but a taboo against anything too deep when you're with the guys. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be um, frothy. You don't want to go there or get too serious. We don't like to um, be be needy or show affection either. I realised like I, I never would tell the guys in my life that I even liked them, let alone that they were really important to me. So these little rules that we have, and maybe we don't even realise. I certainly didn't get in the way of forming those closer bonds that women often benefit from. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've, I've just wondered, has is, is America always been like this? I don't, I don't think so, right? Or um, I keep saying America, you're in England. First, let me ask that. Yeah. Do you think the situation in America is the same way it is in England, or do you think we're on different paths on different continents? So, I mean, that's a really good question. So on, on the one hand is this. So that, those kind of, that research I spoke about that began in the 70s, measuring friendships, a lot of it is US-based. So this is not a British story. It's not a European story. It's very much a global story. And a lot of these uh, statistics are replicated around the world. But then is it is it different in the UK or Europe compared to the US? Well, I think these kind of norms of masculinity, these behaviours that we associate with what it is to be a, you know, inverted commas, real man, maybe they do vary a little bit from culture to culture. But I think in in, in the Western cultures like Australia, like the US, like the UK, I think a lot of this stuff is pretty similar. Um, but it's interesting. What you say is like a lot of this stuff is um, – averages and generalizations so there'll be different you guys might be listening to this and going like hey i've got loads of friends i don't know what you're talking about and that's absolutely fair enough but if you actually look at, at the statistics on average men are more lonely and more isolated than women i'd love to know how far back this goes i know growing up there was all kinds of things that were available that men would do that they just don't do anymore yeah. softball leagues bowling yeah. leagues mm. elks the Elks, uh, you know, Shriners, uh, you know, there, there's, there's just a bunch of things like that. Well, people would also go to church and there's a bunch of things in the social fabric that are gone. And we're just, it seems to me like we're just, we're sitting in our rooms looking at our screens more. Is, is that too simplistic? What do you think? Uh, so this is massive, Brian. So I'm really glad you said all that stuff. You're absolutely bang on. But the thing where it gets interesting, I think here, or, more, or even more interesting is that this stuff is worse for men and affects men worse than women for this reason, okay? So this is maybe going to get on to the second. I said there were kind of two main theories. We kind of touched on the first one. The second theory uh, is this, and I am going to come back to the points you made there because I think they're, they're really important. So the second theory is not about what you would call gender or culture, how men are brought up or socialized to behave or how they behave in relationships. I spoke to evolutionary anthropologists, evolutionary biologists. The most famous one is a guy called Dr. Robin Dunbar. He's like the most famous friendship researcher in the world. And he says that fundamentally men are very different socially to women. Here's the difference in a nutshell. And this goes back deep into our evolutionary past. Male friendships tend to be side by side. They're often in groups and they're based around sharing activities, so doing stuff together, sharing space activities. Female friendships generally tend to be face-to-face, -face, based around talking and sharing a lot of emotion, emotional kind of content. So fundamentally, they look different. Men and women have different preferences. So this is borne out by what makes male friendships succeed or what makes them easy. So men need to be in spaces doing stuff. But now let's go back to what you just said there. What, is lot, what has gone in the last 20, 30 years in decline is these spaces that existed for guys. So, you know, whether it be going fishing or the softball league, the bowling league, churches. So sociologists call these spaces third spaces. So first spa space is work. The second space is like home, right? In, in the middle, third spaces. There used to be loads of these. Friendship was easier 
And now they've been taken away or we've decided not to show up with them, like you say, about staring at screens. And this is really getting in the way of men having the sort of friendships they prefer and, and maybe that come naturally to them. I like that. Side by side. Yeah, it's it's when men are doing things together. I, I'm, I'm one of the weird ones. I've got a really, really rich relational life. <clears throat> and as I've thought right. about this, I, th- I think the reason is, is I've opted into hobbies mm. that if they don't require other people, other people certainly make them richer. <clears throat> and then there you go. You have a number of people who just don't have hobbies. They don't have any hobbies. Like I, this last week I went down, um, oh, me and, uh, well, is this a couple's, uh, we had five couples and I'm friends with all the guys who were in it. And we did some extreme off-roading and overlanding camping. Yeah. And we were saying, uh, afterwards we went through huge massive mud bogs and at one point one guy got stuck in the mud and you know uh, and he's you just can't he can't get his vehicle out he needs somebody else to pull him out i said you know if, if i if it was just my wife and i we i would never try any of this dangerous stuff because i'd be on my own um so i'm in these 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 things motorcycles the same way that actually requires other people but do you think that's part of it we're not doing anything that requires other people yeah big time um so I mean, hobbies, is, I think, is a great thing to kind of call upon there. So I asked that guy, Dr. Robin Dunbar, I said to him, if you could give me one bit of advice, what, what would that advice be? And he says, join a club. Now, I know you've maybe not joined clubs for that, but it's the same vibe, right? So get, do stuff with people who like stuff that you like. And then these friendships occur more naturally. You don't, it's not about going out and deliberately going, I'm on a friend date. It's going, I'm doing things I love to do, and I'm going to meet people along the way or, or share this with them. But I think you use a really, like, your example is brilliant there. What we, what was, did you have in, in that long weekend was adventure, right? And risk. Right. And I think so often as we get older, I know this is true of me. Like when I was in my teens, my twenties, I get out there and I do stuff and I'd be at the front front line of life, right? Like you say, taking risks, but doing things that excited me and you, the friends just kind of grow on you like a suntan, right? There's this guy called C.S. Lewis, who's obviously a very famous novelist, but he said, like, um, friends, they're they're not looking at each other. They're looking, they're side by side, looking into the distance. We need a spot on the horizon we're moving towards. So, like, I think this is a really great kind of fit with, like, aggressive life for me when I was thinking about coming on your show. It's like, if you live aggressively, you're going to get people who come along with you, and this is... And it's going to make it a lot more juicy to have those people with you. But they're kind of they, they work; they're mutually beneficial to each other. The friendship and the adventures. That, that's great. Interesting to bring up C.S. Lewis. You know, he's one of the greatest Christian apologists over in over in England, Oxford. What was his specialty? Especially was like pre pre eighteen hundred literature or something like that. He read yeah. like every single thing was ever written. <laughs> kind of crazy. He I don't know if you ran across this with in your research of him, but one of the things I always found interesting about him was uh those who know him or or are Christians, they really geek out on his arguments, which I think are somewhat persuasive. But really what I find mm. also fascinating is I guess he was with three folks that he would do beers with in the pub every week. You familiar with that? I think J.R. Tolkien, yeah. him, J.R. Tolkien, somebody else, and 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 he said yeah. when one of them one of them died, and he felt like when he lost when we lost that friend, he didn't just lose that friend, he lost knowing J.R.R. Tolkien because that friend brought something out of Tolkien that he wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah. So the, absolutely. So I think the way he puts it is is something like. When there's A, B, and C, we all get different sides of each other because your B is reflecting me as A, and C gets to witness that, and then all those different relationships. So that group was called the Inklings, and you're right, Tolkien was one of them, and I don't remember the other dude either. I know, like, bunch the of losers. Is- they didn't write anything. They didn't do anything that went into a movie. Bunch of freaking losers. They did. They could slam some beers though. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and yeah, he he would. Um, He's got he's got an amazing writing about friendship in a book called The Four Loves, and it's a short book. I I, I really recommend it. And obviously, he's a very famous Christian, as you say. But um, he, his kind of whole thing was that friendship needs to be about something. So I'm gonna I don't I don't want to kind of ruin his beautiful phrase making, but he said something like the the, the phrase of opening friendship 
was something like, um, oh, you too. I thought it was just me, right? You kind of get the sense of you have this mutual quest or question you're trying to answer or thing that you're really into. And it's about that. And once you lose the thing that it's about, that's when the friendship dissipates, it drifts. And I think when I spoke to men researching this book, and I spoke to thousands of men, they would say, on the one hand, some were genuinely isolated and, and genuinely lonely, but a lot of them mainly felt sort of this quiet grief that they still had these pals from college, from school, from their hometown. But what made those friendships rich had gone because what they, it was about is left, it's dissipated. And this sense of the people being there, but not really. And like that was like the kind of the, the more quiet sadness of it. And I think a lot of guys can connect to that and relate to that. I know I certainly did. Wow, that's interesting. So, yeah, even if I look back in those previous friendships, it was the thing we were doing. Yeah, that's mm. that's good. So, Max, I'm sure this bounced back and forth for you between the research you did and the experts you spoke with and then your own story. What kind of choices did you make pre-rich friendship that you think um, contributed to your not being able to have a best man? So the, the first thing was, it wasn't even on the dashboard of my life, if you like. It wasn't even something I would measure. Like I'd have a, an Excel document with like January to December with every bit of income, every bit of expenditure. I'd manage, manage that to death. I'd have a diary that was scheduled to death, but I would never think about scheduling anything social because to be quite honest with you, I wasn't prioritizing. It wasn't important to me. I didn't see it as important to my life or, or to my own identity. I was m being more materially successful in however you define that material for me was what I was obsessed with. And it meant that I didn't prioritize this stuff. And I didn't realize I was doing it until it got to that pinch point. There's, there are some pinch points, I think, in your life where you're forced to audit your social world. Like One is like when you're trying to get a best man, if you're a guy, or when you're drawing up a, a wedding invite list, or um, sometimes, sadly, it could be a funeral, whatever it is. When, and I went, oh, wow, now I've looked at it. I've realized that the cupboard's pretty bare. And it's, it was, for me, in a sense, hard to spot because, like I said, I don't look like the classic lonely guy. I was busy with work. I was busy maybe hanging out with some of my girlfriend's friends, busy with family stuff. And it was only when these pinch points came up, I was like, oh, wow, there's nobody there. It, it, when the going gets tough, there is no one there. In your book, you cite research that says that loneliness is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day worse than excessive drinking, lack of exercise, and being obese. Really? Really? Well, you, yeah. I'll, I'll put this away. I'll put this away. You're, are you saying, are you saying that if I have a rich relational life, <laughs> I can be on par having 15 smokes a day? This is what the research shows. Look, it's God nuts. bless America. <laughs> God bless America. And God bless England as well. God bless all of you people. That's wonderful. Yeah, so guys, if you're listening to this, you can you get a few mates, you can get on the beers. You know, this is a good, good slide. So look, the, the, this, I, I, when I read it, I was, like you had the same reaction, like, what? This can't be real. But it's, there's tons of evidence. It's not like one piece of research. There's tons. So if you want to even check it, if you're listening to this, Julia Holt-Ludstad, or Lundstad, as she's, uh, she's known, is a, is a scientist who's looked at this, done a huge, what's known as a meta-review, so like, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of research into this. And yeah, it, the research shows that 15 fags a day, being chronically obese and um, drinking a lot, um, these are this, have the same negative health effects as, as not having friends, as, as being lonely. So it's, it's, you can't really argue against it. It's, one, it's probably the worst thing for your physical health is to not have a decent social life. And also, then you've got the mental health. You mentioned, um, Brian, in your intro, the kind of suicide rates of guys is way worse than it is for women. And there's lots of research that loneliness is very closely correlated with depression, which often sadly ends in suicide. Also, uh, the Samaritans are a big suicide prevention charity in the UK. 
they do an annual suicide report, they consistently say that one of the biggest risk factors in male suicide is isolation. Why? Because you get this big build effect. If you don't have outlets to share some of the um, very difficult experience and thoughts you're having, there's a big build effect. And then you, the risk is you, you act out, you, you do something uh, terrible about it. And then it, we want, don't want to talk about depression and talk about like the juice of life, like happiness. Again, the, the findings are un, unambiguous, right? If you look at studies of people over time, the number one thing that is linked to whether they rate their lives as happy and meaningful is the number of close friendships and relationships they have. So it's kind of a no-brainer, which makes it even matter that people like me didn't think it was important. So wh why are we not doing this then? Is it a generational thing? Do you think older generations are better or worse than younger generations? It seems like the younger generation, I'm talking about Gen Z. It seems like um, you know they're saying, "Hey, I don't want to. I don't want to work. I don't want to work 80-hour weeks, uh, at least in America. I don't want to. I don't want to even be beholden to an organization. I want to enjoy my life and hang out with my friends. At least that's what that's what I hear. Is that happening more with Gen Z than it is, say, the Boomers? Yeah, well, you're right that the Gen Z are tr making different lifestyle and work choices, or at least trying to. I don't know how successful it is, but they're trying to. But then the question is, where's that time? They, they're working less. Where's that time going? And it's not necessarily going on face-to-face -face relationships. It's often going on time spent online. And again, I don't want to be the science guy because that's not my background at all. But there's tons of research, again, that the relationships that make the difference uh, are when we're face to face, we can feel each other's breath sort of thing, not when you're separated by, you know, 100 miles and you're doing it through Facebook or whatever. So it is important. So it, what, what's what's changed is I think um, we have to put more work in now for all those reasons we've already discussed. Friendship used to be easy. We used to live, we used to live where we grew up. We used to work near where we lived. There are all these third spaces we go to routinely, like church, like the bowling alleys like the local um, baseball or whatever you're into, these things are disappearing or we're choosing not to show up. So it's putting a lot of pressure on us to do the work of linking up with people, organizing meetups and all that stuff. And again, this was another big thing I found is that I don't think men are brought up to be good at that stuff, right? If you think about in relationships it's normally the wife that organizes all the dinners out with friends like sends the cards at christmas uh, phones up and check is so and so all right arranges the holidays if you extrapolate that to friendships women are amazing in keeping in touch with each other and organizing stuff men often just let it drift and kind of look at each other across the ether and wait for the other guy to make the first move so we're not match fit in terms of maintaining our friendships man that's a really good Great point, Max. Uh, I, I, I look at the the rich relationships that I have, and I hadn't thought about this before. It's it's really because at various points there's always been a person in those circles that's led, that has said, "I'm doing a bike trip. Let's go do this," or "We're going to go hunting. Let's go do," or "Here going over or overlanding." Or there's there's always a a person who who exhibits leadership and if we're being passive males and we're no one's exhibiting leadership then no one's going to be calling the troops together to to do the thing which is then how the friendships come i hadn't i hadn't thought about that before yeah i mean that for me is one of the most important little changes you can make so i, I spoke to this this is a phrase i love so i'll share it with you now There's, i spoke to a guy who i know he's got loads of male friends and he's the sort of guy that's always asked to be a best man for, with other guys. I said to him, so how come, you know? And I said, yeah, how, how come you got so many friends? What's going on? He says, well, my friends, they call me the Sherpa. So the Sherpa is like the Nepali soldier that carries all the stuff up the mountain for everyone else. They said, they call me the Sherpa because I organize everything. But they, they said to me, they said, Steve, if you didn't organize everything, we'd never see each other, right? And I just thought, what a great, simple way of putting it. Be the Sherpa in your social group. Be the Sherpa in your life. Be the guy who does the heavy lifting. Like Ralph Waldo Emerson, he's, you know, he's been around for, for, for years. He put it the same way. The best way to have a friend is to be a friend. It's the same idea. But this is not complicated. But, it's, but I think guys especially, we're not kind of socialized, brought up, however you want to define that, to do that work. And that was 
one of the major things I've been trying to work on, and one of the things that made the biggest difference is be the guy who organizes stuff, show leadership. Um, and t- I tell you what, guys love when you do that because they they're just waiting to be invited to do stuff. They're like, oh, please. Dude, you're freaking ringing my bell. This is really, really fascinating. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons my my life is is as rich as it is, and my friendship pool is as deep as it is, is because I believe in doing things aggressively. Which means I'm always a dude who's calling shit together. <laughs> hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Like. I'm 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 figuring out the I'm figuring out where the elk hunt is. I'm figuring out where the where the bike trip is. I, I the last overland thing I organized that, and it's not because I'm the guy who has to be in control or in charge. I love when somebody else does. Like my son, the bike trip that we do, I, he would always go with me on my, with my friends when I did these uh, adventure motorcycle trips. Now he invites me because he organizes it, and so there's one time I can go with him. It's really really cool. But to your point here, I hadn't thought that. One of the blessings of being aggressive and just doing things, initiating things, that's what aggression is, instigating things, initiating things, is my life is the richer for it. And if you're just freaking sitting around going, why is nobody asking me to, I don't, I, I don't have anybody to go ride motors, I don't have anybody to go hunt with, I don't have, uh, uh, it's, it's a sign of passivity instead of blessing yourself with pushing yourself forward. Talk more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I, th- I, I think this is the language is important here, and like we're here, we're talking about men today, and I think men do respond to a certain sort of language, and they go de- get turned off by a certain form of language as well. So if they think, and you've, you've kind of touched on this already in what you said earlier on, if they think it's all a bit soft and a bit sort of meh meh, they're going to go like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the kind of softy touchy feely guy necessarily. But, but this is about showing leadership. This is about being the guy that steps forward, shows leadership, and gets it done and, be, and, and is aggressive. Like you say, not all the time. But I think if we can be as aggressive in, in our social lives as we are often in our work lives, in our whatever, you know, if you compete in sports or, or whatever your vibe is, whatever your game is, then it makes a massive difference. And I don't think it is, should be seen as a different category. Here's another thing I... I think is is a big reason. So the, the, one of the biggest things that surprised me when I researched men's friendships was we think of friendships now, we think of relationships. What sex is regarded as the experts? If you kind of go do a kind of straw poll, they'll say it's women are good at this stuff, right? They're better. It's more natural for women. It's very sort of feminine thing to be relationally good. Now, you can argue that's right or wrong, but most people will say culturally that's what we think. But that's a very modern invention. If you go back to the 19th century, all the way back to the ancient Greeks, friendship was male. All the great friendships were male. Men were the friendship experts. Women, it was considered, didn't have the, like, the chops for it, emotionally or intellectually. Now, that was wrong as well. But now we've got this thing with relationships where it's all defined often in quite feminine, inverted commas, archetypally feminine terms. And that maybe turns men off and goes, it's, it's, it's not something they can own. But like words like aggression, aggression and leadership, more archetypally masculine phrases and language, I think can buy men into it. And actually, we can take back ownership of this subject and of this, this, this uh, of friendship, this word, or if not ownership, at least co-own it. You know. Well, we've got these phrases in masculine culture as well. Uh, the, the rugged individualist, which is supposed to be manly and amazing, or uh, I've heard guys like themselves to a lone wolf. And I'm like, dude, you realize I've I've interacted with wolf experts in Montana. You realize that lone wolves are are shorter, smaller than wolves in a pack, and they die sooner. So you're saying that you're weaker and you're going to die earlier as a lone wolf because you need a pack in order to bring down an elk. Um, we have these phrases that that make me feel more masculine, and and no, it's it's not working for us. Yeah, it's. I think the idea that this is another reason why I think guys don't necessarily talk about this. So they hear, and actually, I've often felt like I'm, when I thought about doing the book, I was like, do I want to become uh, the face of having no friends? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> kind of a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Um, and the reason why I thought, no, you know, what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go for it. Is I think a lot of men won't admit to the problem. Because to admit to the problem is to admit you have needs. It's to admit, like, I do need people in my life. 
I'm not enough alone. And to admit you have needs in, in, in a quite a masculine culture is seen as weak and as bad. And a lot of guys won't do that. So I think a lot of the t- when this gets brushed on the carpet and guys are like, yeah, I've got loads of friends. It's because they're trying to protect themselves a bit. But then when you dig into it and go, okay, when was the last time you talked about a friend about anything other than, than uh, basketball? Oh, well, you know, who would you, who would you phone if your wife had just left you? Ah, well, you know, then, then you go, well, maybe you haven't got as many friends as you think. So I think we need to open up this and change the language around, uh, around friendship and loneliness, both in a masculine sense and also letting guys know that you don't have to like fit that strong and silent lone wolf archetype to be a real, again, inverted commas, man. This could be a really stupid question, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you yeah. ever have you ever listened to the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I have a theory on that. Um, I listen to, I listen to about. First of all, if you're if you're into podcasting, you've got to listen to a couple episodes just because he's the king, right? I mean, he's got he he draws more people. More people listen to a three hour podcast and and supposedly our short attention spans. To a Joe mm-hmm. Rogan podcast, three hours, some of them four, then watch ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. I mean, it's it's stunning. My theory, I'd like yeah. to know your, your take on this, but I'll ask you first. What, do you have a theory as to why it's so big? I mean, why else would three out of four episodes be him getting high and talking about <laughs> talking about uh, uh, hallucinogens, which he's hyper, hyper big on. It's like, okay, God, three or four. Are there, are, there, are there that many people that are interested in hearing some dudes drink with his friends? And what, what do you, do you have an f- opinion? I do. Yeah I, I, yeah, I have an opinion. And I think the opinion is, there's a couple of things. I think one is like a, a, a political position he has, which is against what we would call in the UK political correctness and i'm sure there's a similar phrase in the us you might even use the same one but you know this idea that there's some subjects you shouldn't talk about and some language you shouldn't use uh, and some topics that shouldn't be explored but then to kind of connect it more to this conversation i think there is in terms of masculinity about the modern man what joe rogan does is maybe an accessible version of being a new guy which is to be curious to be open-minded to be a bit different from like the jock jocks that maybe we grew up with, but at the same time to not go all the way over to the other side, the kind of more touchy feely soft, what sometimes I call the, the new, new age guy, right? The kind of slightly in between, which I think a lot of men want can connect to and relate to, but they don't want to go so far the other way. They don't want to be too feminine in, in the kind of the archetypal way you might define that phrase. So that's probably yeah. what I would say. I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's an open subject, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's all true what you say. I, I think also we got to say, I just talked about it, three out of four episodes, getting, you know, talking drugs and getting hired doing drinks. I mean, it, it, that happens on on a good number. But let's not for, forget, he talks amazingly meaty concepts in a three-hour yeah. block that you couldn't get anywhere. No one else is going to talk with Mark Zuckerberg for three hours and talk about everything from MMA to whatever. He's incredibly curious. I think everything he says right down the pike. I th- and, and here's also what I think is going on. I think that the average American male is vicariously getting friendship from Joe Rogan. I think the average mm-hmm. American male is listening to a conversation and the average American male has zero conversations. None, like nothing, 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 has nothing. Interacting at work about a project, maybe bitching about something with somebody they know, but there's the average American has not having any conversations because they're incredibly lonely. And I think that show is so popular because people are tuning in and they're, they're getting the next best thing from having a real conversation. They're listening to one. That's what I think. Yeah, there's a lot to that. Um, I used to be a radio host in the UK and I would do overnights, right? So kind of like the graveyard shift. And there's a real thing in radio where lonely people listen to it and they get vicarious friendship through it. They kind of delude themselves that there's a kind of, it's a very intimate thing. Audio is a very intimate thing. Like if you're listening to this, you might be walking down the street. It's just us and you. It's very kind of an intimate medium. So it feels a bit like friendship. Also, I think, like sometimes when you read a book and you're like, oh, I really like these characters. I really get this kind of author. Or you listen to a podcast. These these kind of relationships are almost purer and more perfect than real life ones. And we don't like the messiness of the real life ones. 
who are imperfect and the people are flawed and we can't be selfish and just be transactional with them, just consume it and then literally switch it off. So I think that's another another part of it. But then, again, you're right. The question is, is if we're consuming content like that, is it a reason why people are not putting themselves out there more um, in order to have those conversations? If you can sit at home and replicate the feeling, although, as we've explained, the kind of health and mental and happiness benefits of it are not the same, but you might delude yourself that they are. If you could have that experience, maybe that's one reason why you're not putting yourself out there anymore. What What is doing it to us? Like what, I, th- I think we're looking at uh, lack of modeling. I think we're looking at, we already talked about lack of third space. I'm gonna come back th- to that in a moment. Uh, mm. Talking about maybe lack of, lack of valuing male friendships. Are there social pressures? Or messages you think that are in the water that we're soaking up as men? What do you, do you think? There's some cultural conspiracy going on here. I mean, it's interesting when you say that. I, I don't know. There's a conspiracy, but I don't think we take male friendship seriously anymore. Uh, so, to give you an example, a guy told me that he was going to go and have a have a have a, have a beer after work with some guy in the office as a, as a friend, and then, so, then a couple of in the office said, "Oh, are you off on a mandate?" And he's like, no, I'm not on a mandate. He says, why does this have to be in compared to a like a, a sexual relationship? Why can't it just be a friendship? It's because it's we don't take them seriously. When men are close, it's called a bromance. Right. And they kind of think, like, oh, it's kind of quite funny, bromance, kind of a play on romance. But again, it's subtly undermining it. And I think the way men get together and bond, we maybe think is childish and silly. So guys go off on their bikes for a weekend, and it's like, Oh, it's, it's just like, what are you kids? It's like, no, this is how, this is how, this is what male intimacy looks like. It doesn't look like female intimacy. Doesn't mean that it's not intimacy. So there's definitely that in terms of cultural. But, and then on the flip side of it is men do need some of those conversations or some of those relationships where they can have meaty conversations. They can show more of themselves, disclose more emotion. And I do think we are still brought up to not value male displays of emotion and to teach boys who eventually become men to repress a lot of their emotional side, to not show it. And that eventually translates into ways of being in friendships that are not conducive to closeness. There's definitely that as well. That's really fascinating about the mandate and the bromance stuff. That is that I hadn't thought about before. That's, that's really, really strong. So we've got those cues that are telling us we kind of make fun of it when we see it. Uh, you're you're wasting time going out and doing X, Y, Z. You're you're wasting money by you know spending time in your hobby, money in your hobby. Uh, that's that that's really strong. That's strong. I, I've been thinking with some friends of mine, guys I meet together with on um, uh, on Thursday mornings. Yeah, and the friendship actually started around the thing that we were doing was trying to help entrepreneurs. We did a little round table or presentation for entrepreneurs trying to connect entrepreneurs. That's still going, but it's, it's a it's a separate nonprofit that's doing that now. So these guys, we, we're still basically getting together, and but we're not doing a lot of initiating entrepreneurial stuff, but they're entrepreneurs. And so we've been thinking maybe our next thing, because just guys sitting and having coffee in the morning uh, it's meaningful. It's very, it's very meaningful, but we've got to do something together. So one of the things we've been thinking about is uh, uh, creating the next third space. What's the next Elks Club, the next softball league, all that. And I'm, and I'm sharing this not because I'm afraid of losing our idea. I would love someone to take this idea and just take it. Run with it. We, I don't really want to do it, but we're, we're, we're just wondering, like, okay, maybe we create this thing, this next space. Before I tell you some of my thoughts on it, do you have any thoughts of like what would be a classic third space that would attract men that would yeah. facilitate friendships? Absolutely. So I can tell you about the most successful um, initiative worldwide to deal with this problem, and it's aimed at slightly older guys than maybe guys in their 30s or 20s, but it's men's sheds. And it comes out of Australia. So the Australians were in like local governments, kept on putting on initiatives to try and get lonely old folks to come out, right, and meet people. And they would have like coffee mornings. 
And guess what? Loads of women would show up and they kept going, where are all the guys? And the guys wouldn't show up. And eventually this slightly um, combative Australian says, well, no wonder men aren't showing up. Men don't want to sit around and have a, have a, have a chin wag and a, and a coffee necessarily. What they want to do is they want to make stuff. They want to build stuff, fix stuff. And so they started a thing called men's sheds and men would literally show up and they'd make stuff or they'd fix like pepper grinders. They'd make whatever they want to make in, 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 in their workshop. So a shed is like a workshop. They'd have cups of tea around it. Um, and it was massively successful. But here's the key thing, right, is that it had a pretense to it. So I went to one in the UK to just kind of see how it was. And there was a few guys in the workshop doing stuff. But most of them were sat around the table having a conversation. But what they needed was a reason to get, get together. And men don't have that reason they won't show up. So a third space um, that works is one that you provide an activity, but what you don't do is lead with things like the word loneliness or health. If you go to men's shed, they don't mention that stuff. It, it may be come out as a natural byproduct, but they kind of go like, look guys, what are you interested in? Come and do it. So that as a third space really does work. It's been proven all over the world as like a concept. I bet there's tons in the States as well no there's not um, no no there's not any in the states no because that's fascinating oh, really? i've never heard of shed i've never heard the shed at all never never no, but that's exactly what we're we're working on like a place Great. that will be completely outfitted with car lifts and tools and, and there would be a guy there with his car and you could watch him do his car you could help him i'm, I'm redo rehabbing a jeep cj7 right now plenty of times i need an extra hand you can hang out whatever whatever where there be where there be clinics you'd put on like how to how to drywall how to do that. Yeah. And, and of course, just like you said, you got tables around guys doing beers and stuff. Um, we're very, very early on this. We just got together with a bunch of, uh, we're, we're, we're all in our, you know, I'm in my fifties. I think the youngest guy in the group is 38, uh, 30, 35. So we just got together with a bunch of 20 somethings to pick their brain. So interesting. I, I didn't shame on me for not knowing that was a huge thing in New Zealand and England. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that's but yeah, I mean your idea sounds great as well. I think again, it's about showing leadership and doing something about it, and and understanding that this stuff can be fun as well. Like I, I don't want people to hear this conversation and think that this is kind of a, a depressing conversation, and it has to be, um, you know, I think the the word loneliness is not right. It's about juice. It's about life. It's about fun. And it's about, yeah, maybe aggression is, a, is a, another great word here to throw into that mix. That's what friendship's about. And so how can you produce context where that's likely to happen and where you can encourage it? Talk about uh, your research that unearthed Dunbar's research around the percentages of people we should be spending time with. How many friends should I have? Like... I'm even, mm -hmm. people say to me sometimes, well, who's your best friend? I go, I, 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 I can't define a best friend. I could, I could define a few that I would call no matter what and I would spend as much time. I can't define a best friend. Should I have a best friend? Should I have three friendships I'm pouring into? Should I have 15, 20? I mean, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the manageable amount? Okay, so I would say there's no like right answer. There's no shoulds in, in, in friendship. But I mean, what you're saying is actually a really good representation of the difference between men and women with best friends. So again, this comes out of Robin Dunbar's research, Dr. Robin Dunbar. So we mentioned him briefly already. But again, another thing he looked at was women tend to have one BFF, one best friend, right, who they often know more closely than often their, their, their partner, their romantic partner. Whereas if you ask men to name a best friend, they often won't name one person, they'll name three or four. It's like a kind of a tier of people. Um, so that's the difference. There. But in terms of like numbers of friends, so Dr. Robin Dunbar is most famous for this thing called Dunbar's number. And Dunbar's number is essentially um, an, an estimate of the maximum number of stable relationships a human being can maintain at any one time. Now, what limits this number? It's time, but it's also literally the size of our brain. So it came out of comparing primates so why do us as humans have bigger brains than monkeys it turns out it's because we can manage a bigger social group so this number dunbar's number is 150 so on average human beings will have 150 friendships now they won't all be of the same closeness and if you look inside that number you have an inner circle of five of your closest might be your closest family members closest friends and outside of that, there's another 10 people, which are the next closest. 
outside of that, then another 15 people up to 25, and it goes out doubling as it moves to 50 to 150. And these circles, what's really interesting is it's very mathematical in terms of how often you have to see these people to maintain that level of closeness. Now, the actual specifics of how often you'd have to see someone in your five compared to your 50 layer, it's in the book. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But this is the, it's a really interesting theory that the social, our social world is not just about time. It's also literally about how many relationships we can manage given the size of our brains. Well, I think this is probably why the female narrative has become the dominant narrative. And now we're looking at friendships only through a female lens. So, you know, you got to just go and sit and talk with each other, um, which is great. But men tend to not do that, most of us. And you have to have a best friend. You have to have, mm. and so even guys talk about this. Like, my wife is my best friend. My wife's not my best friend. There, 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 there are things that, first of all, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So biblically, I believe that my wife and I are one, that we got married. God made us one. We are one flesh. Friend is too low of a term for what she is, you know, mm. where she's one with me. Secondly, friends can innately understand what's going on with you. There's some things as a guy that my wife She's understanding and she's very empathetic and smart woman, but she doesn't innately understand the draw of pornography on a computer, for instance. She doesn't innately understand um, a need to be productive, at least as a type A male. I need to be productive. I mean, she, uh, I, I, I need, my friends need to get the friends I have need to understand those kind of things. But even just saying that, like, she's not my best friend. I look, uh, people look at me and I feel like you're, you're judging me. I can see you're judging me. My marriage is 32 years. It's probably better than yours. Stop judging me. But there's narratives yeah. that we just put on us, you know? Absolutely. And there's a uh, connected here is that the way marriage has been understood has massively changed in the modern world. Whereas we're meant to invest everything uh, in our spouse, right? Which is they, they, so absolutely our, our emotional home, our physical home, everything, all in one person. That puts a lot of pressure on them. It's unrealistic, and also, like you say, we need different avenues, whether it be male versus female, or like the point of friends is that we are not we're not one dimensional. And a bit like that thing with C.S. Lewis, like ABC different people will bring out different sides of us. We do need that selection of people and don't want just one person. Now, a lot of people listening to this might say, hang on, this bloke has just written a book about finding a best man. And now he's saying you shouldn't have just one friend. Um, and th this is maybe again, connected to why we shouldn't get too tied up in the tradition of this stuff is that historically the best man was a ritual that you had. And it's a very, an honor you bestow on someone. But for me, the book and the story and the whole issue is not about finding someone to fill that role, to tick a box, to like be the guy with one close friend. It was a door into a broader look at myself and look at men and look at this wider problem. Um, so I think that's important to say. But I'm, you are, I'm really glad you brought up the kind of how, it, how friendship as a man sits with your marriage. I mean, it's a real tension there, I think. Well, tell us, did you find a best man or did you find best men? So I spent spent two years trying to solve this problem and I had a huge choice of guys to choose. But in the end, and this is a twist, I chose not to have a best man. I actually had two best women because I concluded that even after all this and fixing my male friendships, the two closest friends I had in the world were female. And I just thought rather than just honoring the the kind of the tradition just for the sake of it, I was going to honor the kind of reality. Now, this for me was not a surrender at all because I could have had a man if I wanted. I had like some three groomsmen, uh, my brother and two great friends, but I decided, you know, I, I wanted to honor Philippa and hope he did that job. Um, and that for me is the thing is that, again, we don't just have to do what everyone's done forever. Male friendship is a massive part of my life now, but you don't just have to be friends with men. You can be friends with women. You don't just have to have your wife as your, your best friend. It can be a guy, a, a woman, whatever. We need those different outlets. But that was the kind of the twist at the end of the tale, Brian. So if, how has your relational life looked different now than how long you've been married? How, when did you get married? Got married on November the 26th, 
2021. So coming up to, well, about nine months. Okay. Yeah, nine months. So what does your, what does your schedule, your checkbook, your just rhythms, how do they look differently? How do they look now as you're prioritizing friendship, male friendship than two years ago? Um, there's, I'm sending a lot more messages, arranging meetups with my friends. I'm the one who goes first to sort it out. Uh, tomorrow I'm spending all day at the cricket, which is a very English boring sport for an American listener with two male friends. Uh, on Friday night, I'm seeing a male friend Sunday night. I'm seeing a male friend. Uh, I have this regular, every fortnight we get together and play five aside soccer, a group of guys that we go and have a beer afterwards. I run this thing called pub club once a month. I book out a room in a bar. Wow. I, I text everyone in my phone book and say, come along for a drink or no drinks, whatever you want. And and the, I think this is this thing that men say to each other often is we must have a drink sometime. We must we must have a coffee sometime or whatever. And then they never do it. So I say, when, it, when the last person you've said that to, bring them along. I've done all the work, all yep. the organizing. Just show up. So that's an example of some wow. of the things I'm doing. That's fantastic. But I think friendship has a rhythm and I'm back in the rhythm. Dude, that's fantastic. Uh, this is such an appropriate message topic for the aggressive life, and you're just a perfect uh, guest on the aggressive life because that's that's what you're doing. You're you're doing it. You're setting it up. You're initiating it. It is amazing the passivity in males, and our loneliness is a function of our passivity. Not just because I'm not initiating, but no one else is this initiating for me either. When I bump into when I bump into old friends or people I used to spend a lot of time with, has, mm. this is the way it goes all the time. I interact, oh, how you doing? It's great, great to see you. Good. We, should, we should hang out. I said, yeah. And I'll say, I'll always say this. Am I calling you after or you call me? They say, I'll call you. I say, great. They never call me. They never call me. They never. Maybe they're, maybe they're just lying. You know, maybe they don't want to spend time with me. And that's the way to get me off the, me off their back. But I just find that we're just too passive. We don't follow through on things. And so you've you've really pushed us well, Max. Well done. Anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about so far? Um, I don't think so. I mean, maybe I just the thing I end the book on is three very simple rules that literally anyone can follow which was show up when asked, go first when you're not asked, and keep going even when it's tough, right? So we talked about being aggressive, not being passive. Sometimes the world ain't going to play ball. Sometimes the guys are going to be rubbish and not get back to you, not text back, not show up at the thing you've organized. You can't just quit on the first time it gets tricky. You've got to keep going. And those three simple rules, um, if you follow them, you'd be pretty pretty much there when it comes to male friendship, I think. Max, where can people find your book, find your thoughts? Man, you just had some great stuff for us. How, how can we follow up with your great English mind and hear more of your English <laughs> accent? Though I'm another uh, shrimp on the barbie. I guess that's Australia. That's not England. That's Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's we'll, right. we'll have some prawns in the oven, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you um, can find me at my website, Max Dickens, D-I-C-K-I-N-S, not E-N-S, like Charles, the writer, unfortunately. If you've been wondering the whole podcast, is this guy related to Charles Dickens? I'm not. I'm on Twitter as well, at Max Dickens. The book is called Billy Nomates, How I Realized men have a friendship problem it's an audio book which i read it's on ebook and hardback paperback as well um if you read it get in touch and let me know what you think brother it's been great having you on love to do it again sometime write another book so i can actually you don't have to write a book i'd have you on you're you were just a you were just a joy to have on a lot of great information and i got to listen to that sexy english accent for an hour it was wonderful <laughs> so hey guys hey it's, guys women Ladies, if you're listening, maybe this will help you understand your man a little bit more, you understand your husband. Maybe this will also help you understand that you're heading in the right direction if you're a female with friendships. But here's the deal, man. Here's the deal. It's called the aggressive life. It's not the interesting thought life. You got to leave this podcast and you got to freaking call somebody. You got to initiate something or you're going to be as just as lonely tomorrow as you were yesterday. You're not going to be as relationally vibrant. You've got to put something into action here. So make the call, send the email, organize the event and get the blessings coming out of it. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. 
for all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.